It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The show goes on. It is I, Eli Sussman, actually hosting a show for a change on the Fish Tribes podcast channel. Similar to last year, the Marlins enter the offseason facing a harsh reality that the talent within their organization right now is not nearly good enough to get back to the postseason. They will be shopping for upgrades via trades and free agency in an attempt to hopefully fix that or at least inch them closer coming off a 93-loss season. So along with Louis Adio-Weiss, and Kevin Barral, let's try to steer them in the right direction by identifying some of our top targets that they could go after. On this episode, we're going to browse through aisle one of our off-season shopping series. You may recognize this again from, from last off-season. We're condensing it a tiny bit this year, but aisle one, working our way up um, on the talent pool for targets the Marlins could go after. Lewis, are you ready to go? I'm as ready as everybody else is here, but yeah, I, I always, I had such a great time doing this last year and I know that, um, or hopefully that you enjoyed it as well, but I felt like it was definitely something that we had discussed during the season and I was glad, I'm glad that we're able to continue this uh, show into season two, I guess, if you want to call it that. Kevin, ready to go. Oh, I'm excited. I loved this show last time you guys did it last year and I had to get on, get in on this and I'm excited. I'm excited. You guys know how much I like the off season and free agency. And all these rumors and finally being able to talk about it once a week is, is going to be a blast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, yep. that, that better be a public's promise for you as we move into our view right here. This new setup that we're doing here on YouTube every day going down a different aisle. So to be totally clear, what we do is we work our way up based on how these players performed last year, both trade targets and free agent targets. We want to keep it realistic, guys that could potentially be available for the right match if the Marlins make an offer. We sort it by wins above replacement that the players had during the 2022 season. So this in aisle one, we're starting from humble beginnings. Players that either missed a lot of time due to injuries last year, uh, ones that just underperformed for whatever variety of reasons, players that didn't play in the majors or barely played, prospects in aisle one we're looking at players that posted one wins above replacement or less this past season so players that just were not particularly noticeable at the big league level or if they were noticeable they were for the wrong reasons because they struggled so it's a wide variety of players most of them are probably just not any good and we could disregard but because it's such a big pool uh we could pick out a bunch of them each of us that we think could interest the marlins for one reason or another let's start with lewis just give us anywhere you want to start here with the player in aisle one that the Marlins should go after. I think being that this is the second year in which we've done the show, it's only right that I name a player that I briefly discussed at one, at one point last off season when we did the show and even touched on, I believe in a piece. I think last June, I think I wrote something about the Marlins possibly going out and acquiring him. Um, I'll start with Brandon belt. Uh, listen, like I, I know the Marlins have, a lot of faith in Lewin Diaz and a lot of fans obviously aren't completely sold on the offensive package that he provides. And you and I talked about this last offseason, Eli, where we had questions about, um, you know, Lewin's off offensive profile. We And when we discussed about acquiring possibly a guy like a Matt Olson, I think Belt is a slight, is a much older yet s similar type of player to an. He kind he has the offensive profile that fans would find acceptable for the likes of Alou and Diaz. He obviously the biggest thing I wanted to know was just his proficiency when it comes to taking walks. He walked last year at a twelve point four percent clip, despite having an injury filled season. I know he was a little limited to just seventy eight games, but still twelve percent walk rate. The league average was around nine eight and a half percent last year. He's got a history of hitting. I mean, if you look at the last two years alone, like he really grew into power. High in the air, deep to right field. And happy birthday, second deck. Brandon Bell with a tape measure shot, 4 nothing Giants. Especially doing it in a pitcher-friendly park in San Francisco, we know that he wouldn't be too bothered coming to Miami as far as his offense is concerned. I mean, I like Brandon Belt, and I think at the age of 30, his age 35 season, he's a fascinating guy given that he is aging pretty well into his 30s. I want to pull this on the screen for people to realize just how amazing he was like the couple of years prior to this down year. I think it may have gone under the radar. He missed a little time of injury with 2021 also, but, but here it is. Like 2020 and 2021, 148 games. So like one full season combined between those two years. He had 38 home runs. He mm -hmm. had a 988 OPS, 165 OPS plus. Like by any measure, one of the very best hitters in baseball during the previous two years before this year. 
and now mm-hmm. just being limited by those injuries and his production this year uh, to fit him in this category, it speaks for itself that he just was nowhere close to that level. He's just so recently removed from uh, being awesome. Obviously, his biggest skill set beyond the defense is his ability to get on base. I mean, he's kind of fit. when we're talking about addressing that the team was deficient in this season, it was walks. I believe they drew the second walks in the National League and had the worst collective on base percentage. They had a 290 base this year. I think Belt would be a guy who could, you know, add an element of patience to that lineup that they've been lacking. And there's other guys that I think we'll touch on that are capable of providing that specific skill set. But Belt is the most notable example, and that's why he's number one on my list as far as guys that I think would be a nice fit for the 2023 club. And uh, I don't know if you have the stats right now in front of you, Lewis. I assume you do, but he has a pretty good track record. You know, that doesn't really show that he's a one war player in 2022. You, you look past years, this guy was part of World Series teams. He has the experience. So that's also something else that you can bring in mind there, you know, take in mind with, with a guy like Brandon Belt, who you guys nailed it all. Very good defense. He's a pretty good offensive player, you know, just... It'll be. I think it'll be an upgrade over late one, and this is definitely a short-term type of option for the Marlins when you look at it. And it really isn't expensive when mm-hmm. you, when you look at, you know, just what what you can bring and provide. Good. I have somebody to give you guys to lead off. Who I, I imagine also came up on last year's show that we did, and he is still somehow with the team that he was with last year. Ramon Laureano, I who no maybe a surprise is even in this category because he um he did not have a good year in Oakland, and it caught a lot of people by surprise. No. He's one of the most obvious trade targets uh, entering opening day this year in Oakland. He had to finish serving his PED suspension. He came back. He looked all right. But then you, when the dust settles and the numbers that he put up overall, it was one of his weakest years of his career. You know, he hit 211, 663 OPS, uh, double-digit homers, double-digit steals, but did miss some time due to injury in the middle of that. Also, he got kind of booted out of center field in Oakland. They were playing Christian Pache there for a big chunk of this year, and Loriano, for the first time in his career, right field was his main position. The reason he's on here is because I have a feeling that especially in Miami and in a lot of other markets, he is still a solid center field option, a big upgrade on that side of the ball compared to what the team had. And he's at a stage in his career, only 28 years old. He'll be for most of next year where you feel kind of confident in the defensive skills sticking around for the near term future. If they get him, he's under club control for, I think another three years uh, in arbitration. So he's going to be, if he's just a little bit better than he was this past season, then he's going to be a good value at that price. His big breakout year, you go back to 2019. He was just emerging as one of the better center fielders in baseball. He was a three and a half win player back then, but there's been injuries since then. And as I mentioned, there've been the PED suspension, uh, since then. So this would be an opportunity to really buy low on Loriano, um, so much so that I just wonder whether Oakland will actually deal him now or whether they'll keep him into next year and hope for a bounce back compared to where he used to be. I'm just surprised that he wasn't dealt already by Oakland because we know where they are in their rebuild. They're really trying to bottom out. Loriano is now one of the most experienced players that's still left there on their roster. Here's Loriano with one out. High drive to left. Guriel back. And that baby's gone. Um, yeah, I, I do agree. It's very weird they didn't trade him because his value was very, very high. 
even with the PED suspensions, because you knew he would be back pretty early on in the season. And I knew there was talks about that. I'm pretty sure there was some type of report. I don't know who it was exactly, but I know very early on in the season, we even had a live stream talking about that. But yeah, very sour way to end off the season, hitting 108 in the month of September and 165 post All-Star break. So, but, you know, offensively, he's not the greatest, but when you look defensively, this guy is one of the better center fielders in all of baseball. So this would be a major, major upgrades, you know, from uh, JJ Blade, who they had out there in center field last season, or Brian De La Cruz and Jesus Sanchez, that tandem they had out there rolling. So I wouldn't mind it. I had no idea this guy was a one-war player, though. I completely forgot his name. So very, very good selection here, Eli. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what you're expecting from him, he's a career 113 OPS plus guy. I think if you get that out of center field, it'd be among the better seasons they've had from an outfielder overall, I guess, in a while. But I think the one thing that really would benefit him, despite the fact that his sprint speed, if you look at his sprint speed metrics, every year since he's come into the league, they've gotten progressively worse. He does happen, though, to steal bases at a pretty efficient rate. I believe he's 45 for 60 throughout his career in stolen bases with the new rules coming into effect with the pickoff moves and stuff. He's, you know, he's not to say he's like an Albert Pujols when it comes to base running, but Pujols wasn't the best base stealer, but he did it efficiently and was able to kind of steal bases, you know, when needed. I think Loriano could maybe benefit from that despite the decreased, um, you know, speed, sprint speed on the bait uh, as far as getting down to first base goes. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely another one of those experiment types. And if, there's any trepidation with that you can kind of see what happened with Alvaro Garcia this year and Jorge Soler although injuries definitely played a big role in those guys you could do a lot worse than him I think in center field all right so my first guy is uh one of Alex Carver's favorite uh it is Royce Lewis from the Minnesota Twins so he could play shortstop we they, this team really needs a shortstop and you know I know Lewis is against Jazz going over and, and playing shortstop for this team, but uh, you know if, if that is the case and not many want to see Jazz the Jazz Chisholm experiment at shortstop, Royce Lewis is a very nice option. Just a guy who was killing it in the minor leagues, 313 batting average, 405 OBP, and then makes it up to the big leagues and is killing it until an ACL injury. So he can also provide that center field. That's actually where he got injured, I believe, Eli, in, the, in center field where he got that ACL tear. You could trade Pablo Lopez away. Uh, if, if you really want to get a haul there, you Pablo, a team that really needs pitching, Pablo would be a nice player to put out there. And, and as I mentioned, shortstop is a huge need. And he's a former number one overall pick, which looked like he was panning out. But I guess the only negative you could say is that Carlos Correa doesn't come back. Royce Lewis slips right into that shortstop mm -hmm. spot, and he would kind of be the untouchable there. But, you know, if it does end up being Correa back in Minnesota, which is I don't know how likely that'll be, he he is 100% a trade candidate that you have to look at because this team really needs someone like Royce Lewis, who you know you were going to have for years to come. Yeah, he's an interesting one where definitely I was floating ideas during the trade deadline during the middle of the year when it looked like the Twins were within striking distance of making the playoffs that he would be available just because of that injury and he will he just wasn't available to them in the present, and they seem to be really prioritizing that year. Uh, but the way that things panned out, uh, I think it is fair to wonder how available he is. I think he's worth mentioning in here as one, depending on what else they do at shortstop. But he was, uh, as you mentioned, a number one overall pick, drafted and developed by Minnesota, and he was playing well until that knee injury. 
So that is his, his second ACL tear of that same knee. And I guess it could give you some worries exactly how much of his athleticism he's going to get back if you suffer multiple severe injuries to the same knee like that. Given how young he is, um, yeah, it would just depend on exactly what the price is. Probably it would involve sending major league pitching to Minnesota. That's been speculated as a potential trade possibility. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. That is a creative one because if they get him, they have him under control for the next six years. And that's that's the most attractive part is that they have a while to to enjoy the talents that he has and find the most out of his potential if they are able to swing it at this stage of his career. And his walk rates and strikeout rates have been some that have actually improved throughout the years. You know, last year at 7.4, now he's at 11. And he's strike, he's been very, you know, he's been managing the strikeouts pretty well this past year in AAA, 20%, 22%. It's really never been one of those crazy strikeout percentages over the 25% marker. So I could, you could say he's kind of patient at the play. He, he would get you those walks, you know, pretty high OBP overall throughout his, most of his career, I would say, in the minor leagues. So, this is definitely someone who I think Miami should take a nice look at and, and think about acquiring because he would be him and Jazz would be also a very nice duo. Yeah, I, I'm a big Royce Lewis guy. I'm starting to think the twins are just great at player development, especially when you look at Buxton on a per game basis. I mean, Joe Ryan was great for them as a rookie last year, but they just have this. It seems like they have this trend of guys just getting hurt i mean and they get unlucky in other ways too obviously max kepler suffers at the hands of babbitt because he doesn't strike out a lot but i mean buxton is always hurt lewis has been hurt ever since he has been in professional baseball eli noted the two acl injuries he yeah i mean it's almost like they just you know they're very great at player development but they're also but they're also not good at drafting guys who can sustain themselves i guess on the field it's just like consistently getting hurt he is so, I mean, two ACL injuries is scary. I mean, like, we've seen guys like Grady, or not Grady Sizemore. I mean, Grady Sizemore is a perfect example of a guy with all the talent in the world who just can't stay on the field like a Buxton or a Lewis. But we, you know, you see a guy like that who, you know, has that history of being injured, especially a, a serious injury like that. We saw Acuna kind of struggle his first season back from an ACL injury. And it takes a little bit to kind of recover from injuries like that, especially for a pit, for a position player. So, I think, again, that's he's a marquee talent per what he's been touted to be. And he's hit in the minors as well. He, like Kevin said, very patient. He gets on base, career 339 OBP in the minors. But, again, that's something that you need to kind of um, watch very closely because if he gets hurt again, then if you're giving up marquee or just quality starting pitching for that, then what are you going to really be left with? Yep. Oh, good. Well, give us your next guy, Lewis. All right, so uh, I will err on the side of what I did with Belt and talk about a guy that I believe I discussed last offseason, and we did not wind up going out to get him, and that's Andrew Chafin. Now, I look at his season, very weird season if you look at, like, value ascribed to performance. So he had a good year with the Detroit Tigers. I believe he signed a one-year deal with a player option, if, or if I'm not mistaken, it's either a player or a club option for $6.5 million. Um, he had a 283 ERA, 306 FIP, good pitcher on an otherwise just disappointing Tigers team. He misses bats for not throwing hard. I also think he would give them a, a effect, effective lefty to complement Blyer and uh, Okert in the bullpen. 
doesn't walk guys too. Okert, I know we've just a nauseum at his propensity to walk. Um, the one thing I really wanted to touch on though was the effectiveness of his slider. And he I mean, he has a very, very, very good slider. The guy, I mean, the lack of fastball velocity. So I wanted to get said he had 78 plate appearances ending on a slider season of pitchers with at least 50 this second best whiff rate opponents hit 085 off of his slider this year book it got him swinging and chafing picks up his third save of the year well he couldn't have done a better job of making a big pitch when he needed to this is that breaking ball bottom of the zone and he gets Carlos Santana swing over the top. What a way to end the game. Even going back to Arizona, I always thought he was an interesting pitcher, if not, you know, slightly underrated. But yeah, you I mean a quality arm, I think, would be a nice addition to the bullpen. That is, though, if Miami would want to pony up, you know, upwards of eight, nine million for his services, should he opt out of that player option. And to point out about that, one reason why a baseball reference war doesn't like him is because it, it like, um, penalizes him for the unearned runs that he allowed. That's their formula. It just counts all of the runs that a pitcher allows. And with him, he allowed 18 earned runs, but he allowed another eight unearned runs. Like the defense behind him was just awful in Detroit last year. And that is a big impact on the way that he comes out in, in this metric and in the way that we're looking at it. So I think that is kind of misleading and you'd have to point to the fact that his supporting cast kind of let him down. That's the reason why he's even considering opting out is because I think he knows and a lot of the teams know that he's better than that number would indicate that has him in here in the first place. But I know Kevin was a big fan of this guy entering um, last offseason as well. I know that for sure. And uh, yeah, even though things didn't go yeah. great for him, you know, it's not it's not all his fault. With the lefty free agent relievers, I'll go with... Of familiar yeah. friends that we probably talk about every offseason when he's available. Brad Hands currently pitching right now with the Phillies going into the World Series. He's going to be a free agent after the World Series. And he's had a little bit of inconsistency in recent years, but I mean, this was a he actually still falls into this category, even though this was somewhat of a bounce back for him here in 2022 with the Phillies. In 2021, he was with the Mets, he was with the Blue Jays, he was with the Nationals. And so this mm -hmm. year, uh, 280 ERA um, in 45 innings, and the, the peripherals aren't so pretty. But I think that's one reason why uh, I still he, he would still be affordable for the Marlins. So he earned six million this year, and I imagine in free agency it would be potentially even less than that, considering the underlying numbers here and the playoff performance as well. But what he does this past year and for most of his career, he's done a great job keeping the ball in the ballpark uh, relative to other guys that pitch in high leverage situations, only two homers allowed during the regular season and uh, one allowed here in, during their postseason run as we're recording this. Um, so at this stage of his career, not the same bullpen relief ace that he used to be somebody that has a lot of closing experience though. And I just value that for a team that year after year, these last few years has been, not necessarily paying attention to that. They've been trying to put different guys in that situation and the results have been really uneven. So I like the storyline of him potentially coming back after all these years and for whatever intangibles it brings to have been involved with this world series run 
and have also have gone to the playoffs previously with Cleveland a couple of times. It, it's not as as sexy, I would imagine that um, compared to Chafin, he's like a, a half step lower on the priority list. But I still think he was a uh, he's worth mentioning for a team that needs a little bit more swing and miss out of its lefty relievers, um, out of its high leverage relievers compared to what we saw this past season. So uh, the Phillies have a high payroll, but I don't think they can bring everybody back in 2023. So being able to bring him back, I think that just marginally raises the floor for this bullpen moving forward. Yeah, so my next guy is actually a left fielder. Uh, Yankee Dodger this year, Joey Gallo. So he he was a, neg- he was a less than 1.0 war player just after in 2021 hitting 38 bombs in 2017 hitting 41 of those i really don't think he'll get to those numbers in miami he definitely is a 30 homer guy but uh he has that potential at least but you know he, this guy's a two-time all-star he's a gold glover so you know you you could definitely have some you, you could rely on his glove a little bit there nice defense in the corner spots and i think playing in miami definitely would be a benefit because you're playing in these huge markets in new york and la and you just saw how that ending in new york kind of went for him it just wasn't the greatest you guys read the article it just kind of sucked for him overall i know the the philosophy i guess that they're going to go with the won't fit what gallo is which is uh contact hitters that could hit in lone depot park but gallo is a is a pretty damn good player and if you need someone in left field that you are confident in without defense Gallo would be the guy just assuming Solaire does transition himself to an every DH. And yeah, the strikeout numbers are very, very high, the percentages, but his walk percentage is actually pretty high as well. If you're looking to give a, get this guy a pretty cheap deal, three million, five mil, you know, the worst case would be overpaying a little bit for him. Uh, this would be a pretty nice option. He'll probably be the richest 199 hitter in baseball history. That's for sure. I mean, Gallo yeah. is, yeah, like, defense was wasn't the biggest problem for the marlins i think but i'm not sure where they off the top of my head where they rank in defensive efficiency but gallo yeah he's a marquee defender wherever you put him in the outfield actually i believe he won a gold glove in right field for the rangers or a couple of years ago like he or last year i mean he is just you know he is that kind of defender he's an excellent glove um yeah but the strikeouts though is just like you know some teams you can accept like the season that say like Kyle Schwarber had, that's the, that's like a slightly lesser, but if you really look at the season he had relative to Gallo last year, not that far off comp, although Schwarber doesn't give you the defense, but you can live with the 200 strikeouts given the fact that he was flirting with 50 homers at the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like a major, like, like, like it's, there's a, there's a slightly mimetic nature to watching the Marlins given their shortcomings performatively, whether that's offensively or just as a whole, uh, Gallo would fester a lot of, uh, Twitter hate. And, you know, for a guy who was unfairly treated in New York, given his performance there, uh, I don't know. I mean, like he, like, again, like the, the upside is the power and the power is something that, that is something that is plaguing the Marlins. I mean, there is like a drought in that, in that lineup for consistent 30 homer power. And the two guys that you could kind of count on to do it, Garcia and Solaire weren't on the field enough to really provide that. But who knows if you're going to get 40 homer power at a gallo the way that he's done it, you know, three times in his career prior. And if you do, you know, you're going to get a hell of a lot of strikeouts, but again, you'll get the walks or at least a somewhat decent amount of them with the good defense. 
And that kind of gets me to another outfielder that I wanted to explore, Kevin. So I liked your um, the segue. And, you know, I'm t- I talked a lot about earlier with Brandon Belt with guys who I think would benefit the Marlins in their ability or, I guess, inab- perceived inability to draw walks. And that's a guy who actually just was in the National this year, and that's Robbie Grossman. Again, not the sexiest name, but I honestly think, as strange as it sounds, maybe a safer bet than Gallo, and that's because he walks, but he doesn't strike out with the prolificity that a Gallo does. So I want to give you a stat. Since from 2016 to 2021, Robbie Grossman had a 359 on base percentage. He walked a 10.6% of his plate appearances, one of the positives in Detroit. That's why he had some trade value and went over uh, Atlanta, where he could, where he struggled at first, but he found his way there. He did what he does best, draws walks, hits for a little bit of power. You feel confident that he'll at least do some things, right? He'll get on base for you. Robbie's been a huge addition, and he's produced. Big hits, can play both corner spots, can DH, switch hits. And he drives this one to left. Schwarber near the line and in the corner. He'll make the catch. And the Braves break the shutout bid. A sack fly for Robbie Grossman brings home Eddie Rosario. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Does the increased strikeout number or percentages in any way concern you? Because 20, 2020, right, you, you could consider that season fake, but you know, 19%. Then 2021, 23%. It, it now at 27% in 2022. But I mean, the walk rate just stays consistent, Lewis. So I mean, does I would say does the strikeout percentage in any way, you know, the increase of it concern you in any way? But or no? No, because remember what we said about Brandon Belt. This is a short-term commitment. This is a guy who is yeah. in his 30s, more familiar with his 30s than he is his teens at this point. Um, he's been a productive player, though. I think you can live with the strikeout i mean he doesn't hit for the power to offset say gallo-esque strikeout numbers but for a guy who in a part-time role could walk 50 60 times for you on a one-year deal as a fourth outfielder for a team whose questions in the outfield are one of its biggest uh crutches i think he provides some stability i mean and let's not forget he's one year removed from a 23 homer season in detroit like Detroit, like Detroit is not a hitter-friendly ballpark historically. When you look at the, like Miguel Cabrera would have hit 600 home runs. He was also 20-20 that year. So he's, you know, he that's an element to his game that could play up more. Again, as we get these looser rules when it comes to time in between pitches and number of pickoff moves per plate appearance. So there's a lot to like. And there I think there's more to like than there isn't. He's a, you know, like I said, he's a productive big leaguer. He's not a star. But again, you could do a lot worse, and I wouldn't. And he's not a guy that you're expecting to play 150 games. You know, at this point, I think he should accept the fact that he is a role player, and he kind of took to that in Atlanta a little bit. Although the numbers wouldn't reflect him being incredible, but he's useful, and I think that's the best adjective I can use. It's just I, I don't think anybody 
may have known this off the top of their head that he led the Tigers last year in 2021 in both homers and steals. He led the whole team in both of those. <laughs> Robbie Grossman, who you don't even think about as a regular, but he was a regular for that team considering what they had around him. It is a very interesting name for a variety of reasons. Yeah, the only reason why, I mean, he's not a more sexy target is because he's not really going to give you anything in center fields. He's faked it in no. center fields a, a few years back. But yeah. at this stage of his career, I think he's going to be, he wouldn't be any better there than their current internal options. So mm -hmm. he's, he's a four, I guess you call him a fourth outfielder, but he's not really giving you much at all three of those spots. He's, you, you plan on him being a, a corner guy, a platoon guy. As long as he's still getting on base, though, he would help them win games. Um, that was a fascinating one. I, I probably should have had that one down myself, uh, Robbie Sorry. Grossman. I, I like I've that. Always was, liked, I've always liked him. I thought it was, fringe guys that you know he future analyst by the way i think he's going to be one of those guys that you'll see on you know sporting networks doing broadcasting or whatever he does after his career and he's relatively a quiet guy but i think that's just a perspective that you want to get you know he realizes like if i have a strength i'm gonna you know work on or i'm gonna use that to offset a weakness and he's done that i think for the majority of his career you know the defensive metrics have been horrible in the corner spots like you know He's actually been slightly above average at total zone last year. And that's like, it's a small sample, 45 games in Atlanta. But again, I, and I don't think you expect a lot from him as far as Duvall. When Duvall played every day, like his approach at the plate is a lot more aggressive, but the defense was so, so was so like terrific that we were kind of okay with it. But when a guy like that is playing every day, you're going to, you know, it's going to hurt your team in some ways. And the way that it would hurt them, given his aggressiveness at the plate, it would hurt with Grossman playing every day because he's not going to put up like prodigiously great offensive numbers. But yeah, again, to put the lid on it, he's just, he's just a useful player. And I think, again, you could do a lot worse. As we get to the middle of this aisle on uh, Marlon's offseason shopping, I have a trade candidate um, to go to from the Cardinals, Nolan Gorman who was a very oh, highly regarded prospect coming up through the Cardinals system. He was envisioned as their third baseman of the future. And then this dude, Nolan Arenado suddenly came on the trade block and that changed their plans quite a bit. As we know, Arenado is playing as well as ever. And so they had Gorman move over to second base. He made his uh, debut this past year. He graduated from prospect eligibility and he would probably graduate from being part of this exercise. If he had spent the whole year at the major league roster, he spent the majority of the season as their second baseman, uh, but not the whole thing. And so he was somebody, a bat-first prospect for sure, that has a very high floor in that regard. And what we saw from him in his rookie year, I think you'd hope would be his absolute floor moving forward, where he slashed 226, 300, 420, slightly above league average um, overall in terms of hitting with 14 homers in uh, 89 games. So you extrapolate that, that's like 25 homer power Playing at a home mm -hmm. ballpark in uh, St. Louis, it's not super friendly, two home runs. So we played most of his games at second base. Um, didn't grade out well there defensively. You would think that if he goes to third base, though, that he would offer more at the table. So it's a, I'm not entirely sure what the fit is with the Marlins in that, of course, they went out and got Jordan Groshans at the deadline last year, and his primary position is third base. But I think you ask about... 10 experts and nine and a half of them would say that 
they prefer Gorman's outlook moving forward than uh, Groshans. As bad is a lot safer. I think his defense might be even better at that position. And the power upside is uh, very tantalizing with him. So this is a trade target, of course. Um, somebody, I guess, in the same vein as, as Royce Lewis, where it would involve the Marlins probably parting with some major league starting pitching to send to St. Louis, where they have a lot of questions there. Even with Wainwright coming back, they still have some rotation depth issues. It'd be that type of pretty big, you could say borderline blockbuster trade, where I think the Marlins would have to send somebody on the mounds who has high upside and years of control in order to get offense at that position. I, I think it's a logical fit potentially, but it's, yeah, it's gutsy on both sides for the Cardinals to part with a guy that they developed themselves and their track record of developing hitters. And uh, yeah, and the Marlins inevitably to get somebody like this, to be clear, it would cost them quite a bit. It would cost them somebody like Pablo. It would cost them somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to, it's really hard way to imagine this coming together unless it's one of the pitchers currently in their major league rotation to get, pry somebody like Gorman away from the Cardinals. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to go to. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a great fit. But as you mentioned, Jordan Groshans was traded for not even a couple months ago. So I, I would like, I guess it would be some type of a competition if in spring training to see who's that starting third baseman. But, you know, these two guys, Groshans and, and, and uh, oh my God, Nolan Gorman, both come from very good organizations that know how to develop it pretty well. So it would be pretty interesting to where to go to. And I'm glad you mentioned an infielder because that's where I'm going next. I'm going with Seattle Mariners second baseman Adam Frazier, who was an all-star in 2021. And I'm going to search up his stats as I'm talking about him. And he's been pretty consistent throughout his career. This is the first time in his career where I guess you could say he's had a big downfall or a big decrease in stats. And as I'm pulling them up, this season, he went 238, 301, 311 with an OPS of 612 compared to his last season where he hit over 300 with uh, San Diego and um, Pittsburgh. And the 2020 season, I'm not really going to look into that. And I'll go to 2019 where he's hitting 278 and you just keep going a little higher or farther back in time. In 2016, he was hitting 301. So he's been a pretty consistent hitter throughout most of his career. And this is a guy who could also play you the shortstop position if you really want to put him there. I don't think he'll provide that. Per, I, I don't know if he'll be the most the best shortstop out there, and that would be the case where let's try Jazz Chisholm there. And I know Lewis is against it, and but you know you could give it a try and at least see how it works in spring training. See who would be the better defender there, Jazz or Frazier. And I don't think it would be that expensive to to really get a guy like Adam Frazier unless teams are valuing that All Star selection in twenty twenty one, knowing that. He didn't – well, he played around the same amount of games, but it was a very talented Seattle team that had some good depth that year, I would say. And he's not someone who strikes out that much, under 20% throughout his whole career. Strikeout rate, uh, almost 10% walk rate. He's at seven, but he's a pretty solid player overall. And, you know, he's what? Uh, he is uh, 30 years old, so he's not too old yet. So you could at least get him maybe on a one- or two-year deal there, see how that works out. So, Kevin, I'm not going to use this as like a smite, but what I'll say is like, I think I don't, and I believe I touched on this earlier. We talked, if we're playing a hypothetical chess, the way that Eli kind of mentioned the likes of Norm, Nolan Gorman, who would 
theoretically fit in as a third baseman if the Marlins acquired him. Groshans does have the experience at short, though you do have Rojas, so you would be sacrificing defense for a guy who's very disciplined at the plate, as uh, Groshans is. But with the the likes of qual- of acquiring a Frazier, or which I guess would be a free agent signing because he's a free agent. Mm-hmm. You kind of have an internal option already as far as a veteran who is somewhat of a utility player goes in John Birdie. And okay. John Birdie does what Frazier doesn't, and he's not an excellent base stealer the way that Birdie is. I mean, I, and again, stolen bases are – they're not in vogue, but though they may come back into play as far as how managers game plan and stuff and how they like to employ their typically faster players with – um like I said, the new rules, I'll mention them again. But I think if they're going to be conservative and they want to at least save money where they can, if they want to allocate their funds and spend it elsewhere, I think they really have an answer to Frazier in Birdie, although I don't think Birdie is as good of a hitter. I think he provides you similar defensive value while also making up for his somewhat deficient offensive performance with a good acumen for base running. So I think maybe that'd be like a name I'd stray from. I don't think it's the worst option, but I think Birdie kind of fills Frazier's role, or at least the role that he would occupy on this roster, as he is an example of a utility player. And I think that's kind of the space that those two occupy. And I actually uh, want to ask, what what is the future of Joey Wendell on this team? Because that's another player we, we have kind of shied away from mentioning here. Joey Wendell... I believe he has a player option, I want to say. And he's entering what is it would be his final year of arbitration. There's like a mutual option. They're gonna decline yeah. that and they're gonna like tender him a contract. Just it's his last year of club control. And I imagine he's gonna be a little bit more expensive than Frazier is, but I think he's he's a better fit. I mean, they're both what they share in common is they're both amazing contact hitters. You were understating that, you know, Frazier, the big calling card with him is making contact. Like he's yeah. one of the best in the league, even this year, this year, which was as obviously being in this aisle, it was a very bad year for him, but still like about twice as good at the league average in terms of strikeout rate. So they are, they're similar guys, except for Wenzel. The big difference is that Wenzel plays a good shortstop. He's played a yeah. lot of shortstop and, yeah, so I don't know. Me personally, I have a tough time imagining them uh, trading Wendell or like moving him, inconveniencing him just to bring in Frazier, who's just a similar type of player with also, you know, the similar limitations in terms of power. So, although I do think he's definitely a bounce back, I think he got somewhat unlucky this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that big playoff moment he had against Toronto, a game winning hit that will carry over some sort of positive vibes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Me personally, I, I, I don't think they would uh, go out of their way to like rearrange their veteran infielders when what they had this year was uh, all right. You know, that wasn't really the problem of the team. And uh, he is interesting, though. I, I do expect more of him moving forward than we got in 2022. I mean, Wendell even could have won a gold glove if he played second base all season. Like, I believe he may, I may be wrong on this, but I could fact check it later. But he had 90 RS at second in 33 games and six and 34 games at shortstop. Like, I know they have the utility gold glove right now, and he probably play enough games to really merit the um, the selection. But he would have been a great candidate for that had he seen more time at those respective positions. And he played, you know, slightly below average third base, but 
given the production that he can provide and just putting the ball in play, I know he was a below average hitter by adjusted OPS plus this year. Doesn't strike out and gives you the defense. He was almost a three win player this year. So, I mean, again, Kevin, they have internal options. I don't think Frazier's a bad choice because, but I also think the Marlins already have players who kind of fit that particular mold. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Eli, was there another person you wanted to mention? Maybe another position player. Um, I had a couple of other pitchers, uh, maybe a trade candidate um, that you would maybe want to mention beyond Gorman. Yeah, there's one more that's in this sort of a interesting position. And I don't know how available he is, but coming off a down year, Jared Walsh of the Angels. Ooh, that'd be a sexy Ooh. pick. Yeah, he had, a, he had a great year, what, just in 2021. And then this year dealt with some injuries. His season ended early due to, mm-hmm. I think it was, let me double check exactly what it was. It was some sort of like soft tissue injury that it's not going to linger into next year. But he played 118 games uh, this past year. And that home run total was cut in half from 29 to 15. Um, just overall, the stats were pretty ugly. A well below average hitter is 642 OPS after being 850 uh, the year before. And, you know, that was one of the many things that went wrong for this Angels team in uh, 2022 to make them under chief. Yeah, it was a right intercostal strain. So it's similar to an oblique or some other midsection injury. It's not going to affect him moving forward. He's uh, 29 years old. He still has several years of control moving forward. I think he's just going into arbitration for the first time. So it's three years of club control of a player that primarily plays first base, but he could contribute in the corner outfield spots as well. As we brought up uh, at the top of the show with Brandon Belt um, at first base, you know, the Marlins, they could use an upgrade. And this guy at least has, even this year, as down as it was, it was miles better than what Lewin gave you offensively as well. So it's just an incremental step forward. And I think the bat makes up for any limitations with the defense. Um, as long as it's something close, forget about even 2021. If it's his career numbers, where he's a 250 hitter with a 108 OPS plus, as long as he's, you know, above average overall. And with a lot of that value coming in the power department, it's, he's a really intriguing guy. So he, he has some limitations with his swing and miss a little bit with, um, He's a pole-heavy hitter, so I think he's somebody that could – he's hit a lot of polled ground balls, and he's somebody that I think is near the top of the list of guys that would benefit from shifts being restricted moving forward as some other players of that prototype would. So that's one thing I'm betting on is him just with the rule changes being somebody that's a big beneficiary of that, and depending on where the Angels go, they're, they're in a really awkward spot, as, as we know, uh, as they're going through an ownership change and didn't perform much better than the Marlins did – this past year, uh, I feel it's yet another one of those deals where Marlins give up some major league pitching and they could get somebody like Walsh in return. Yeah, yeah I think the only... Go, go ahead, Kev. No, you're good. Uh, go ahead. I think you have... Yeah, I was just going to mention, I guess the only concern I may have is that strikeout rate in the past two seasons where he's actually played an almost full season. You know, 26% and 30% isn't too encouraging with the walk rates way below 10%, at least in 2022, which I, I understand he got injured. But, yeah, it's a good player and definitely an upgrade over what Lewin has provided. I know Lewin is one of the best defenders, is the best defender in the Miami Marlins organization as a whole. But, uh, you know, the offense hasn't shown what he did in Jupiter. Has, I'm sorry, not in Jupiter, in Jacksonville, has not translated to the big leagues. And it's unfortunate because he's a really good player, really good person. But 
man, Jared Walsh would be a very sexy pickup as Lucas. Men- I mean, Lucas Lewis mentioned Jesus, and uh, yeah, a converted pitcher too. He actually debuted as a pitcher earlier in his career. Oh, did he? I did not know that. Yeah, he was a pitcher. He was like one of those AJ Reed esque type pitcher, first baseman, Brandon McKay types in uh, college. Oh, Brandon. Okay, that's fine. All right, so. It's only fair. Eli mentioned Nolan Gorman. Kevin, you mentioned Royce Lewis as prospect types that could be acquired by the team via trade. So I think it's only fair to... Yeah, you know exactly where I'm going because we've espoused on him multiple times. It's only fair that I mentioned guy. And when I was establishing the hierarchy of guys who I wanted to talk about on this list, I put him down as... Um, the notes I put for him, I put down as pipe dream. Because I think in a dream scenario, it would be where the Marlins acquire this guy. And realistically, he gave me true serum. I don't think they're going to acquire him, but I would love if, you know, the team were to go out and, you know, make a splash in acquiring the likes of, say, a James Outman. Now, with the reports that have vaguely been going on, I think they've been percolating through the Athletic and Bleacher Report about the idea of the Dodgers possibly exploring a Shohei Otani blockbuster. Um, Outman would likely be the marquee guy included in that deal. Although Diego Cartaya, the catcher that they have there, um, even Miguel Vargas could be names that would come back in that deal, possibly if they were to go to the other side of Los Angeles in that deal. But, you know, the Marlins have the void in center field. Uh, Outman would fill that at least now. The only other problem with that beyond him just being an excellent player is we have to look at. Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger, not a productive player. If the Dodgers don't want to tender him a contract, he's likely going to be owed upwards of, say, $20 million in arbitration this year, as Eli puts that Adonis on the screen. Um, Outman may just supplant him out there if the Dodgers want to cut back some payroll and say they want to make that splashy move that's been rumored to be, that's been rumored about them possibly going to Aaron Judge and moving movie bets to second base. They want to save some payroll there. Um, Outman would be a cheaper option for now, but he would also just give the Marlins a center fielder that fans could legitimately get excited about. Honestly, the maybe the most exciting outfielder the Marlins have had, dare I say, since Christian Yelich. If yeah. it's not hyperbole, I mean, we were excited about Brinson, but I think if you asked Eli in 2018 when they acquired him, there was obviously some trepidation given his history of swing and miss and, you know, a lot of other things there. But, I mean, Outman, you know, plays center field. He can play the corner outfield spots if that doesn't pan out. He also flirts with, like, 2020 homer 2020 potential. Like, not Mike Trout, but Trout-esque in his ability to steal bases and hit for power. He's done that a couple of times in the minors where he's actually flirted with it. I think come very close in both respective departments and multiple seasons at different levels. I mean, like I said, he'd be one of the most exciting position players that the franchise would have in a long time. And you have to think that if the team were to acquire him, he'd be a shoe in to make the opening day roster because they he'd immediately become the best outfielder in their organization. Maybe the best position player. You wouldn't be surprised if he would be number two to say only Yuri Perez and best prospects in the organization. But yeah, it's a pipe dream. And I don't even want to get started on what it would possibly take. Eli, you probably know better than I would to acquire somebody like that. But I, I love your guys' takes on that. I love well, James Allen. Just yeah, just skipping ahead to the acquisition part of it, it's 
similar to Gorman, you're talking about somebody that's probably a main piece of a Pablo Lopez trade. Yeah. Dodgers, that's something they are they really focused on this offseason is getting starting pitching after so many guys, including your beloved Clayton Kershaw, hitting free agency with an uncertain future. And for them to get uh whether it's Pablo or but probably only Pablo would be that kind of guy that would justify giving up somebody like Outman just at the start of his career, totally major league ready to go a little older for the prospect side. He's going to be 26 in May, but he's, he's ready to go. You know, he's ready to jump in and he could be a, one of those leading contenders for mm-hmm. rookie of the year that helps you win games immediately. But go ahead, Kevin, more on Outman. Such a consistent hitter in the minor leagues that it just made sense. And I couldn't agree more with Lewis's option here with going Outman. Yes, it would require Pablo and maybe a little bit more because how good James Outman is. And this guy would be the best outfield the Marlins have in, in, on their team. And as Eli mentioned, he will be fighting for Rookie of the Year in the NL. If Andrew, if you are the GM of the Marlins, if you're Kim Ang, Andrew calls you and he hears about the inch that you have in a outman. If he propose a deal that started with the likes of, say, hey, Lazardo, would you encourage that? Or would you say that Pablo is the starter that will even encourage trading to acquire the likes of Outman? Given what Lazardo has done this year and given that the peripherals last year even suggested he got a little unlucky. Yeah, I'm really i've done a total 180 on lizardo from where we were a year ago i loved what he did especially those last couple months when he got back he looked like a complete pitcher i think he out of everybody in this organization if i have to pick who's your number two starter for the foreseeable future i would go with lizardo even over pablo and so it would depend on whether the trade market reflects that like if the rest of the league feels the same way and they they're willing to give up somebody like Outman plus several other very interesting pieces in a package for him. Then think you got to consider it. Um, but I love Lazardo's upside, given like the adjustments that he's made and the fact that I, I moving forward, he feel like he's a really safe bet to miss a lot of bats and to throw more strikes than he used to, and to have mm-hmm. the upside of of being the you're really just the second the robin to sandy's batman in your rotation so yeah i'm i'm of the opinion that of all the pitching that we could potentially deal over the offseason that uh lazardo is like the one i want to hold closest to the best so uh, i'm probably not quite as enamored with outman as you guys so with me i would that'd probably be a no for me um another name i wanted to mention and i had him at the bottom of my list and i figured it's only right because he makes his offseason home in miami and I'm not sold on the idea of completely on the idea of him coming to Miami, but you guys maybe have an idea of who I'm thinking of. Um, and all I really put for notes beyond just his absurdly high walk rate is you're going to take a flyer. It's still Araldis Chapman. He still throws mid to high 90s. I think it begs the question, given Mel Stoudemire and his ability to work with pitchers and the way that he has and the fact that I think the Marlins are a very, very pitching centric organization for on a one year deal, though, unfortunately, given his pedigree, I think I'd take a major league deal to get Chad in Miami. I, it's not the worst idea, but it's still a flyer 
that I'm sure will be noted as the Marlins being ex- once we're taking that. Again, I don't think it's the best option, but I think given who he is in the game for his transgressions as well as his on-field performance, it's something that I'm sure that will come up in off-season discussions as the front office decides how to construct this bullpen with the A-Force ERA in 2022, uh, heading to 2023. Yeah, it's been a big decline for Chapman. <laughs> you know, from the highs of being one of the best, maybe the best closer in baseball with the Cubs and the Yankees, you know, to where he is now off a playoff roster, was taken out of it due to, I don't even know what it was. I believe it was some type of, he missed a workout or something and his struggles throughout. Missing the a workout. Yeah, it's been tough. It's been tough for Chapman, but I mean, you're you'll be at your home in Miami, very close to Cuba, where you, you know, you 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 were you were born, and uh, maybe maybe that's a spot where he wouldn't mind it. A pitch, it is a pitcher friendly ballpark as well. That's something to keep in mind. So I guess he would benefit a little bit more out of being in New York, which is basically the most one of the more hitter friendly ballparks in baseball, to go to Miami, where hopefully maybe he benefits a little bit more. We'll see, but. I know Eli may have had to say something on Chapman. Yeah, I had to stop and look at his name, of course, just because we want to be as thorough as possible. We know that the bullpen is an area of need. And even during this year, early on, like there were stretches where Chapman looked pretty close to his vintage self. Like it's not out of the realm possibility to think that he'll he could bounce back very strong next year. It's it's hard to get past the off the field stuff going back to the domestic violence incident that got suspended. And I mean, more recently uh, he, uh, I don't think we mentioned this is that he had to go on the IL this year because of a tattoo that he got on. uh, on, I think where was it? Was it on his pitching arm? He got a tattoo that was infected and it's a missed time because he couldn't resist getting another one during the season in the middle of the year. And the cherry on top of the red flag pie was how he handled this postseason situation for a bullpen that desperately needed options that despite how poorly he pitched, you know, he quit on the team just because they um, they were noncommittal about using him in the postseason in important roles. He is, I mean, by all observations, he just has a massive ego about himself. He does not respond well to being asked to pitch more than one inning. He does not respond well to doing anything except for closing. I, I would just, he's a stay away for me. He just, he is. And yeah. I understand both sides. They need to be thorough. Somebody is going to sign him, uh, whether it's, I, I do think it's going to be a, a low end major league deal one year deal. He's going to pitch again. Um, I would hope it's not for the Marlins. They need to do something, though. Uh, somebody of that ilk is exactly what they're looking for. Somebody that misses bats with multiple pitches, that has the intangibles to pitch in those high-leverage situations and to close it out. Uh, that's the kind of profile that they need to be looking at, whether it's via trade or free agency. That I can absolutely agree with. I mean, to really bookend the podcast, if you guys want to end it here or if you have any other names, I mean... I'll throw some other names out there before I delve more in Chapman. I had, you know, maybe another low-end, low-risk guy may work was Matt Boyd, uh, kind of more of a reliever now. Eli, I believe he pitched with Seattle this year and was pretty good at a 135 ERA in about 13 innings, small sample size. But for a guy who doesn't throw hard, he misses, like, even in Detroit he did that. Um, he could be another 
lefty in the bullpen that features already featured Flyer and Oker. Um, Jose Alvarez did have Tommy John's last month, so that would maybe be a Kirby Yates esque deal where you're giving him like a two year commitment to where you're not going to really expect anything. Although we did see with Zach Britton, though he did hurt himself, Tommy John back less than 12 months. Um, could see a two year deal where we don't get anything that first. Maybe we get him at the end of the season, and then next year, you know, Jose Alvarez, a 315 ERA between. In 2021, in 366 innings, bits. So that's a sample of being a productive pitcher. Also, another former Tiger. Uh, I'll mention him one more time before I get back to Chapman. Kenley Jansen still had a year with the Braves. There was some time the Kenley of a since 2019 had reared, where you weren't sure as the velocity kind of came in during the season. Still threw that cutter. Still struck out his 338 ERA, 321 fit, 12Ks per nine this year. Um, you know, one of the best relievers of the last 15 years, maybe. But we'll bookend it with Chapman, I think, because, like you said, the risk is, yeah, he is the Albert Bell of 2022, the Yoannis of 2022. It's related to another Cuban baseball star, I guess, former one being he's no longer an active player. Uh, it's just like keep sonifies, I guess, moving forward, what you're going to get, what kind of looms over this Marlins future. It's a weird kind of like person to symbolize a team where it's just like, we don't know what's going to happen with the team after 2023. If say they have another unproductive season on the field. Yeah. One super duper quick name here, Trevor Rosenthal. Yeah. It's a wild card, but he was traded for and he never played. That was the weirdest thing ever. And they traded some pretty decent prospects for him. I believe it was when he went from, I want to say San Francisco to Milwaukee or vice versa. But he he hasn't played since 2020, and that mm-hmm. season he was pretty good. Definitely, you could maybe get him on the minor league op, on the minor league deal, or maybe just over that, or just the lowest point you can see the made to a major league deal, and just give a shot and see how he does in spring training. Wouldn't mind seeing that option there. As if we could get 2020 Trevor Rosenthal, I think Miami may have themselves a late inning guy. Having missed as much time as he did, you'd think that he has to settle for a minor league deal this time around with no firm commitment to it. When you reach that stage of your career, then um, I'm open for anything. If, if it's going to be pretty much no obligation on the Marlins side, just see how he looks at spring training, then for sure that is somebody that I would circle as a candidate for that. And we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll wrap it up right here as we yep. go well over one hour on this first episode, despite <laughs> insisting early on that there weren't that many interesting guys in this bracket. This was, to remind you, aisle one, only the first aisle of shopping as we focus on players that we expect to be most and generally speaking most affordable but in some cases just unproven players it was a fascinating mix of guys that are coming up those that are on their way down others that are simply in need of a bounce back and we'll continue our way up next episode looking at players that were ahead of them in terms of war this past season and we'll get to it before the offseason really heats up we'll cover everybody that you're interested in the marlins potentially pursuing in trades and free agency this offseason with Kevin Barral, with Lewis Adio Weiss, Eli Sussman here on Marlins Offseason Shopping. We'll be back with aisle two. And as always, go fish. <laughs>